Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, Jen. Our Bible reading is taken from Ezra 3, 1 to 6. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. When the seven months came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. <clears throat> then Joshua, son of Juzadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel's son of Shotel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice bonds offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new month sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as few will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Thank you, Sister Tosin, for that reading. My name is Mojirola Olukoni, and I'll be bringing God's word to you today. If you are worshiping with us for the first time, we are glad to have you here. And if you are watching online, thanks for joining us today. So we've been going through the book of Ezra for the past two Sundays in the series titled The Gracious Turnaround. And we've been looking at how God graciously turned around, turned around the lives of the Israelites in Babylon, in exile, back to their home in Jerusalem. And so we'll continue to look into this story to hear what God has for us this morning. Let us pray. Lord, you are the one who has the, the words of eternal life. You are the only one who can speak and the life of a man will not remain the same. You are the only one who can speak and the life of a man will be changed inside out. So Lord, we present ourselves before you this morning and we ask that you speak to our hearts. Lord, let the words that we hear today, let it transform us into all that you have called us to be. All to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I do pray. 
So I have a story that I want to share with you this morning. If you ask me one of the most important days of my life, I would say one of it is the day that I met my husband. <laughs> and I met him, I met him through Tommy, a mutual friend. Some of you that might know him, he preaches here. I don't know why you guys are laughing. Okay. You see, in school, it was common to have fresh guys, really fresh guys that were not godly. Or godly guys that were not fresh. You guys, you guys, you guys know the drill. And so in school, many ladies would sort of, you know, try to compromise, see what you value the most, and then pick your choice. But for me, I was not ready to settle. I was like, these two boxes must be ticked, and they must be ticked in full. So the day I met my husband, his clothes were like those people that come to school to show off their ironing skills, instead of them to be ironing their academic skills. You know those kinds of people. That no matter how much you wash that clothes and dry it and wash it and dry it, it still comes out as if it has just been ironed. So I was like, okay, okay. This guy is fresh, he's clean, he's fine. He ticks my first box. Sorry, it's the second box. And the spiritual always comes first. But then I knew I had hit jackpot when he also said, ah, I'm a foundation Bible school teacher. I was like, that's what we are talking about. So I had my eyes on him, we got talking, and then we got into a relationship, and things even got better. Because I now had someone that everybody else called Tomiwa, but I would call Ire Tomiwa. His mom would call him Ayofe Jesu, I will call him Ayofemi. You know, I just had somebody that I could call mine. It's somebody that I would call when I was in trouble. Somebody I would call when I'm looking for trouble. And somebody I would do anything for to get out of trouble. <laughs> Somebody's like, let's go home now. <laughs> you know, I, I got used to having him around in school. I remember one day I was having a very, very frustrating day in school. I just finished the lecture and I was just going back to my hostel. And as I was just leaving my department, I saw him right there waiting for me. I got used to having him around. All of a sudden, this no nonsense girl. The night was now too dark for me to go and read alone. All of a sudden, situations got too complex and I needed his opinion. All of a sudden, the streets to Asharifa, the hostel outside campus, was now too dangerous for me to walk alone. I needed him around. We did life together and it was hard to imagine doing life without him in school. But I didn't have to imagine for too long because it was two years ahead of me and it was time for him to graduate and I would be left behind. At first, I was like, I got this. Until I realized that I would have to walk the roads that we used to walk together. I would have to pray at the spots we pray together. I would have to read at the places that we read together. But this time, I was going to do it alone, without him. Tomiwa was like home for me, and it was hard imagining like doing life without him. And this is a story that we can relate to in different forms. That there is a sense of aloneness that can creep, or creep on us when we are suddenly detached from what we've always known. That there is a sense of anxiety, a sense of detachment that can be so overwhelming when we are suddenly uprooted from our comfort zone. When you are suddenly uprooted from what is familiar. 
And I can imagine what the Israelites must have felt because they too were suddenly uprooted from home. This exile happened suddenly and they were exiled into another man's land under another man's rule. I can imagine what they would have felt when they were, when they were leaving their home behind. They would have missed the foods that their mouths were used to. They would have missed the beds that their bodies were used to. The exile would have forced them to say goodbyes because some people were left behind in Jerusalem. Some people would have died never coming back home. Some would have been born without a true taste of what home is. All they would have would be tales of what used to be. Life would have been difficult. But the most difficult thing about this exile wasn't that they were exiled away from their land. It was actually that they were exiled away from the presence of God because God was connected to the land. In Ezra chapter 1, when King Cyrus was still talking to the, um, the Israelites before they returned to Babylon, this is what he said. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. So home was where God is. God was in Jerusalem. So as they were leaving Jerusalem to go into Babylon, they were leaving the presence of God behind. Their sin had led them away from the presence of God. Their sinfulness had led them to be disconnected from the presence of God. And I can imagine what it would look like going into a place you've never known, to live with people that you've never known. And you're walking into a future that you did not plan for and God was not with them. But the interesting part about life in Babylon was that life was actually going on. When God was going to give them a message through Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 29, it was a message about build houses, settle down, marry, prosper, increase in number. So when you think about it, life was actually going on in Babylon. But they were still disconnected from the presence of God. So a question that we need to answer is, what was happening when they were disconnected from the presence of God? What was the implication of them being caught away from the presence of God? In Exodus chapter 6, when God was sending Moses to go and deliver the Israelites from Egypt, this was the message he gave Moses to tell the Israelites. It says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is where I'm going. It says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. God was going to change the identity of the Israelites from being slaves under Pharaoh to now being people under God. They were now going to be people of God. God says, I am going to be yours and you will be mine. So their identity as God's people was connected to their relationship with God. Their identity as God's people was rooted in their connection to God, to who God had called them to be, to be a holy people unto him. In Exodus chapter 33, when Moses was speaking to God, he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So they were to be a people of God that were marked by the presence of God. Their relationship with God was, was needed to be intact as people of God. Their identity was rooted in their connection to the presence of God. 
So during those 70 years, when they were caught from the presence of God, they were no longer living in their identity as God's people who were supposed to be marked by his presence. Their relationship with God was broken and they were now living like all the other people on the face of the earth. Those are the times when life will be going on, but you still be asking yourself, why am I here? What's the, what's the meaning of life? What's the point of life? They had a life in Babylon, but they knew going into the presence of God was where true life is. They knew that without the presence of God, they were not who God had called them to be. They were no longer that holy nation. Their fundamental calling had been broken because they could no longer commune with God, because they could no longer dwell in his presence. When God was speaking to Jeremiah again about this restoration that we are looking at in Jeremiah 32, he says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. I will see this again. He says, they will be my people and I will be their God. So this restoration was not just a restoration back to the land. It was a restoration as a people of God. The Israelites understood that this gracious turnaround was not just a gracious turnaround back to their God, to their land. It was a gracious turnaround back to their God. They knew what the presence of God meant for them as a people of God. So what, what does this mean for you and for me? What is the importance of the presence of God to us? Why is it important that we dwell in God's presence? Or what is going on when we are disconnected from the presence of God? I think the first thing I'm going to say about this is God seeks to dwell with his people. And this is a truth that many of us know, but sometimes we just need to consciously think, think about. That God is not a creator that creates and withdraws. He's a creator that creates and steps into creation to dwell with his people. That this God that is so big will care about us who are so small. There is a song that says all the earth with everybody in it compared to God is like a scandal standing beside the sun. And yet God says, you have my utmost attention. And all through scriptures, we see God seeking to dwell with his people. In the Garden of Eden, God came down to dwell with Adam and Eve. And these same Israelites, after God rescued them with mighty acts of judgment, those mighty, that mighty hand of God did not cease. There was the pillar of fire. There was manna. There was quail. But God says that's not enough. He told um, Moses in Exodus chapter 25. He says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Think about the person that you respect. And you're like, if only I can find five minutes with this person. Just five minutes. Then flip it around. That person becomes the person that is pursuing you to just spend time with you. That person is the one trying to seek for your attention. That person is the one standing in front of your gate, waiting for you to come out so that they can just have a time with you. Revelation 3.20, God says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. God seeks to dwell with his people. God seeks to dwell with you. But is this only thing about the presence of God. This is the only important draw dwelling in God's presence. I think many of us, if not all of us actually, would have friends, acquaintances, relatives, anybody in the position of someone that likes to spend time with you and you actually like to spend time with them. And so, you know, you guys organize the hangouts. They want to come and hang out in your house. And you're like, oh, sure, come in. 
and then you guys have you have fun, you eat, you just you see there are some social norms that we all live by, unsaid social norms. Now there are just some time that is right for you to leave somebody's house. Times like five p.m. So when it's four thirty, you are expecting that this person is trying to gather their things, you know, so that you know that this person is about to make their exit. But you're not seeing any signs. And for one reason or the other, these are people that you cannot just they can't say, please, can you kindly leave my house now? You can't, you can't say that. So the best thing you do is try and drop hints here and there, and hope that they get it and then they, they leave your house. So by 4:30, this person is not moving. And then you're like, ah, you said it took a while for you to get a ride in the morning. Yeah. And the person's like, yes, so. And then they did not move. They're like, I'm in trouble. But you're like, okay, maybe it's six. No, six is still quite similar to five. So you're like, maybe six o'clock they plan to leave. And then it's 5.30. This person is still not moving. And then you're like, oh, I really had a very stressful day yesterday and you need to rest so that you can be productive tomorrow. And the person's like, hey, yeah. And then they just still keep chilling. Yeah, like maybe it's, it's dinner. You know, it's just right that when you eat dinner in somebody's house, Abba, you just pack your plates, help them wash your plates, and then you leave the house. And then you're like, it's definitely dinner. And then you guys eat dinner. And then they help you pack the plate and wash it, and then they still come out to chill. At this time, you're already, something's already going on inside you. You see your children running around, but everybody go to bed, go to bed. And then they help you give your children goodnight kisses. And then they come back and they sit on your couch. You like to spend time with this person. This person likes to spend time with you. But their presence has become an inconvenience to you because you had other things you had to do. You see, when the only importance you attach to the presence of God is that God wants to dwell with you. In the relationship, we can end up treating ourselves as the constant and then treat God like the variable. We start to treat God like that visitor that doesn't know the time that he ought to leave. God is at the door and knocking. We want to be able to say, come in today. But that knock can start to sound somehow, some days. We want to be able to say, God, come in today. And then we look for other ways to leave the house because God is always here to stay. So your relationship with God becomes, God has not so much for me. He wants to spend time with me. The least I can do is shout to give him my time so that everybody is happy. Your relationship with God becomes plastic. It becomes that thing you do because that's what everybody does. But you don't really see so much that is going on. But you can't really say, but you're managing. So what exactly is going on when we dwell in the presence of God? Why is it important for us to dwell? I think Moses gives us a hint of what is going on. In the book of Exodus, Moses goes into the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. Somebody's like, are you going to tell me to spend 40 days off? <laughs> no. While he was in the presence of God, some things happened. God revealed himself to Moses. Early on, Moses had asked God, show me your glory. And while he was spending time in God's presence, these 40 days and 40 nights, God came down and he revealed himself to Moses. That's the passage where God says, I am the Lord. I am compassionate and I'm bounding in love, rich in mercy, slow to anger. And the Bible says that the response of Moses was that he bowed down in worship. 
And I can imagine maybe several years from now, somebody is reading this same passage where, where God is saying, I am the Lord God, compassionate and kind, slow to anger and rich in mercy. And for that person, those are just normal words that we ought to hear. But for Moses, those are words that will stop him in his tracks because those are words that carry an, an intimate understanding of who God is. Those are words that carry an intimate revelation of God to him. And the only response is a worship that comes from the depths of his soul. Spend time in the presence of God and you receive an intimate understanding of who God is. While he was still spending time in the presence of God, he also received instruction of how they were to live their lives. He went into the presence of God and he came down with the laws of God, which is also an expression of who God is. But this is where I'm going. In Exodus 34, 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Moses went into the presence of God. He did not know it, but his face was radiant. The people around him could see that Moses going into the presence of God and speaking to God was starting to transform his face. And I can imagine that Moses keeps going into the presence of God and it is no longer his face that is being transformed. Maybe it is his upper body. And then he goes again and spends time in the presence of God and then it is no longer his upper body. His entire body is being transformed. The point is he is stepping into the presence of God and he's being transformed into the image that he's beholding. So is this what is going on when we dwell in God's presence? Actually, not really. Because... 2 Corinthians 3.13 says we are not like Moses. He says we are not like Moses who will put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. As glorious as what was happening to Moses was, it was just temporary. It was a transformation that was fading. It faded away. So what is going on when we dwell in God's presence? Can you give me verse 18? It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. This passage is saying as we spend time in the presence of God, we are being transformed into who he has called us to be, to be like him, but not for a short period of time. It is from one level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory till we are completely transformed and we behold him face to face. Dwelling in God's presence brings us into an intimate understanding of who he is. God is good, church. And all the time. You see, for some people, those are just mere Christian platitudes that we say from time to time. But for some others, those are words that carry a weight of revelation of who God is. They have spent time in the presence of God. God has revealed his goodness to them. And they've come to know it intimately. That the only response that can come is a worship that comes from the depths of their soul. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. We are singing and they're already lost in worship. Tears are already falling down their eyes. And somebody's like, ah, it's just the first line. You see, for some people, that might just be the first line. But for them... It is a line that encapsulates the entirety of their lives. They've come to really understand that God is good. And the only response is a worship that can come from the depths of your soul. 
when we spend time into in God's presence, we also receive an intimate understanding of the life that he has called us to and how we ought to work in it. And as these things are happening, a transformation is going on. Every, many of us use iPhones. And I think that one of the reasons why iPhones are this widely used and this good is because every year we receive updates. And with every update comes with, an, and every update brings an improvement of the iPhone. And this is only possible because the creators of the iPhone are able to continually work on the iPhone to make it a better version of itself. Let me tell you, the best human beings are those who make themselves available to continuously being worked on and being transformed by their creator. iPhone will tell you what your screen time is. What is your presence time? When we dwell in God's presence, we make ourselves available for him to keep updating us, for him to keep transforming us into the best versions of human beings we can be, set aside and ready to do his will for his kingdom. We make ourselves available for him to peel back the layers, put us apart, remove the bugs, reshape our character, and realign our will and our desire according to his. When we dwell in God's presence, we are being transformed. And even though it doesn't feel like it, it does not mean it's not happening. Moses did not know it, but his face was radiant. It is in the presence of God that you can find that real you that you were meant to be. And what this also means that when we are away from God's presence, we are being less like God. We are being less like who God has called us to be. Our lives will be working, but it's going to be working like a faulty machine that is working, but not working the way the creator has intended it to. I was blending few weeks ago. I was blending tomato. And as I just switched on the blender, it blended my tomato. But the whole thing ended up blowing up in my kitchen, just blew up and everything was all over my kitchen. And it was tomato that I was blending. Tomato is not expensive. <laughs> that blender was working. He blended my tomato. But is that blender is definitely not working the way the creator has intended it to. When we withdraw from the presence of God, life may be going on but we will not be walking in our identity as a people of God who are supposed to dwell in his presence and continuously be transformed in his image. Our life will be walking, but it will not be walking the way our creator has intended it to. And those are the times when things may now start falling apart. Things may now start scattering. All of a sudden, you don't get a hang of things till eventually it blows up in our faces. If we are being formed, when we are in the presence of God, then we are being deformed when we are disconnected away from Him. So if this is how important it is for us to dwell in God's presence, why is it that when we offer ourselves to God, we offer our least productive self? Why does God always get the remnant? Why is God always the after afterthought? Why is God the one we easily push aside? God deserves your productive time too. Give your best self to God. Do everything to make yourself alert when you go into the presence of God. Walk into his presence as alert as a soldier ready for his master. Your identity as a child of God is rooted 
in your relationship with God. The transforming work that he's doing in your life is still rooted in you dwelling in God's presence. And a proper understanding of the life that he has called you to and how you ought to walk it is still connected in you dwelling in his presence. The Israelites had a life in Babylon, but they knew growing up into the presence of God is their true life in it. And so in the seventh month, everybody gathered together to build the altar. Verse 2, it says, Then Joshua and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. Why did they build the altar? What was the significance of this altar to the Israelites? And how does it help them connect back to God when they came back? Can you give me verse 3? Can we read it together? Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Verse 4. They celebrated the festivals of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. Verse 5. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings. Verse 6. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings. Do you know how many times burnt offerings came up? Five times. In these six verses that we are looking out today. So what is it about this burnt offering? And how does it connect these people back to the presence of God. In Leviticus chapter 1, God commanded the Israelites to offer five different types of offering. The burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, and the guilt offering. But the burnt offering was the first on the list because it was foundational to all the other offerings. In fact, it was different from all the other offerings. For the remaining four, Part of the offering was what was sacrificed to God. The remaining part goes to the priest, and in some cases, even to the offerer that brings the offering. But for the burnt offering, the whole animal is sacrificed to God. In fact, the altar was called the altar of burnt offering. And the Hebrew word there means the going up offering, the ascension offering. So what is going on here? An offerer brings an animal. But it's not just any animal. It's an animal that is without blemish. An animal without defect. Why? Because sin creates a separation between you and God. So the physical state of that animal is a symbol of the moral blamelessness that that offerer ought to have. Psalm 34 says, Who can ascend? 24 rather. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or saw by a false god. You can only come before the presence of God with a clean heart and a pure heart. And if you see the picture of the tabernacle, the first thing you will see when you come into the tabernacle is the, is the altar of this burnt offering. Because there can be no presence without purification. You can't go past this place to access the presence of God without a time to sacrifice the burnt offering here at the altar. So an, an offer brings an animal, and that animal is sacrificed on its behalf. And as the animal is being sacrificed, the offer places their hand on the offering as a way of commissioning that animal to go up on its behalf into the presence of God. But that animal can't go into the presence of God, the state that that animal is. And this is where the burning comes in. 
The burning is what transforms the animal into a form that can go up into the presence of God. That is the smoke that the Bible says it is a sweet-smelling savour unto God. So an, a blameless animal is killed and sacrificed, dies and goes through fire, and through that it is being transformed into a form that can go into the presence of God. The death of the animal, it's purging through fire, and its ascension is a picture of what one needs to go through to be able to access the presence of God. The altar and the burnt offering was a means of God's grace that God had given the Israelites to have access to him. But this system was not sufficient. Because no matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, it never added to a complete solution for this same problem. They offered burnt offerings, sin offerings, and they were just never enough. And it was pointing to the fact that the blood of bulls and bulls is not just enough to get rid of this sin problem. The altar, the priest will come before the altar each day to make these sacrifices year in, year out, and he never attempted to solve this sin problem. Can you give me Hebrews chapter 10? He says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With bond offering and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Verse 7, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Can you give me verse 10? And it says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The altar and the burnt offering was a means for, that God had laid down for the Israelites to graciously have access to him. But we have a greater grace. Because those offerings were not enough. Those sacrifices were not enough. Jesus came to set aside that which was not enough and made a single sacrifice that was enough for the sacrifice of our sin. Jesus did everything that needed to be done to pay the sacrifice of our sin once and for all. Such that anybody who identifies with Jesus by placing his faith in him and saying, I believe that I need to go through death to experience the life of God and what Jesus did, he did on my behalf. John Stott said the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, but the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Your identity as a child of God is rooted in this sacrifice. And this sacrifice is enough. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 18 says, And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is the reason why you and I can now come before the presence of God, not bearing the bolts of blood of goats and bulls which are not enough, but standing upon the sacrifice of Jesus that paid the, the, the sacrifice for our sin, and it was enough. This is why we can walk right straight into the holies of holies, knowing that we are presentable, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. This is why we can walk into the presence of God any day, anytime, anywhere. And when they ask you what your assets code is, you tell them it is the blood of Jesus. And it is enough. This is the reason why we can come before the presence of God. This is the only way that we can come before the presence of God. God sent his son to repair the broken relationship between himself and man because he loves us. Because he wants to dwell with us, but also because we can only live a truly purposeful life by dwelling in God's presence. 
we can only find true life by living in close proximity to the source of life. You see, but whether it's the altar of burnt offering or the altar that bears the sacrifice of Jesus, there still needs to be a coming. A coming in total surrender. A coming in complete consecration. A setting aside of every other thing and coming. In Ezra chapter 3 verse 6, it says, On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. See, the, temp- the, temp- the foundations of the temple had not yet been laid, but still they came. The big structure had not yet been put together, but still they came. True worship was their priority. Total surrender, total consecration was their priority. So rather than wait for the temple to be rebuilt, they just came. You see, sometimes many of us are waiting to fix ourselves before we come into the presence of God. Forgetting that it is in the presence of God that we can actually get fixed. We've imagined what the minimum standard of a life should look like before they can approach the presence of God. And while we are yet building that life, we stay away. We are listening to those voices that want to keep us away from the presence of God. Voices that say, sin today takes the presence of God away from you and so we run. Voices that say, you've done it again today. You can definitely not come before the presence of God today. Maybe tomorrow. Voices that say, distancing yourself from God will make you more presentable tomorrow. Or voices that say, you're actually not that bad. You are deserving. Voices that make you forget that it took a sacrifice for you to be brought near. Voices that say there's nothing going on when you dwell in God's presence. It's just mere ritual. So take the box, make God happy, and move on. Or voices that say God will never be your number one priority. So why try? The Israelites also heard voices. People around them were talking. And whatever those people were saying, it instilled fear in their hearts. But verse 3 of our passage says, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they still built this altars. They still came. You see, whatever those voices are saying, those are the things that are supposed to push us to come before the presence of God. When you hear you are not presentable, that is what pushes you to still come before the presence of God. When he says you are now sinful, that is what pushes us to still come before the presence of God. And as we come, there is a continuous burning. There is a continuous purification. There is a continuous refining. God is working on our lives and transforming us. He is working through fire and refining our faith. Job says, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. It is only when we completely yield our lives to God that our lives can be a sweet-smelling servant unto him. See, but for some of us, it's not the voices that are keeping us away. It's the walls. When the exile happened, the walls of Jerusalem was destroyed. And when they came back, the walls were still destroyed. And it would have been logical for them to come back, build the walls, make sure they are secured, and then build the altar of God. But rather than build defensive fortifications, they still came back to build the altar first. They knew that the sacrifices that God required would bring the manifestation of his presence that they so desperately needed. They knew that without the presence of God, it was only a matter of time, even though they built the walls before their enemies attempted to destroy them. It's as if the Lord does not watch over his city. And quite frankly, we too have a lot of walls that we need to build. Life is, life 
hard. Nigeria is, is hard. We need to build financial walls. We need to build career walls. As a parent, you are building walls for your children. As a child, maybe you've gotten to the point where you need to build walls for your parents. We are building relationship walls. We have a lot of walls we need to build or we need to rebuild. But the question is, will the altar still be a priority? Because what we prioritize shows what we value the most and trusting for protection. While the buildings are not yet up, are we going to be able to trust God to still put him first? You see, the sacrifices that we make on the altar have nothing to do with animals, but it has everything to do with you. Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Are we going to be able to set time to dwell in God's presence for him to transform us into who he has called us to be? We will be able to put God first despite our broken walls. Spending time in God's presence are not just mere rituals we do to keep ourselves busy. It is true that the devotional altar of our lives will be built. And without the presence of God, we will not experience the joy, the victory, and the transformation that only the presence of God can bring. And so the call for us today is to come. To build your altar if it's been broken. To come back to the altar. The gracious altar, the ultimate gracious turnaround was God graciously restoring us back to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. So the call for us today is just to come. You've done things that want to make you run away from yourself if possible. But God says, come. The sacrifice of Jesus is enough. There's forgiveness at the altar. You've run away from God. Even if it's 70 years, God says, come, the sacrifice of Jesus is enough. There's reconciliation at the altar. You're struggling with sin and you keep failing and you are tired. God says, come, there's purification going on at the altar. You don't see how your heart can pant after God as the deer pants after the waters. God still says, come, there's transformation going on at the altar. You are burdened and you are overwhelmed. You've come to the end of yourself. You are surrounded by a lot of broken walls and your faith is still so small. God still says, come. There's restoration and renewal going on at the altar. You see, even though the people of God seem to have been its people, God never stopped being their God. God does not withdraw his presence from us. We are the ones that withdraw ourselves from God's presence. God is always ready for us to come. And if you've been coming, it is a continuous coming. It is a continuous transformation. See, we behold him face to face. We are people of God, transformed by the presence of God. And as we stay connected to God's presence, we live life fully in our identity as God's people. Can we rise as we take this song together? Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.